0: If you are going to play 40k, don't be a heroic or cultured meta chasing motherfucker. No one likes them. One faction per person. Honestly, how many models can one motherfucker get battle ready in a short space of time? Get a life. Take your s***iest models to a tournament. Drink as much piss and smoke as many ciggies as possible, and rely on the dice no one can beat the dice if hassan can't neither can appear if the trio doesn't doing pairing on time give him he's f-ing unreliable and you need to remind him be a mad lad be a Yabi hunter stop being a p-ing. aim to score low so you have to do a showy. inshallah yabis p.s if you are going to Uprising in January 2023, keep an eye out for the mad lads, Yabby Hunters. They are enjoying themselves and not giving a f**k. Their t-shirts are also dope as f**k. And Adam, Camilleri, give the Yabby Hunters a shout out on every f**king podcast you talk. F**k knows how many you do. Just get it done. yabbies. You may have just heard
1: some weird crap before the intro to this show. That was a shout-out by a paid comedian to myself and some others to build some hyper-uprising at the end of season uh, Australian event uh, akin to the LVO, but, you know, less or more grand depending on where you where you reside. Uh, and a club called the Yabby Hunters paid a comedian to, to demand some shout-outs from Adam. And I'm here to tell you, if you pay a comedian to demand shout-outs, you're going to get your shout-outs, Yabby Hunters. Here you go. Congratulations. Let's start the show.
0: It's time to Down Your Unders. Down Your Unders. Review and dissection of content from some of the sharpest minds in the game. Hosted by Adam Camilleri. Art of War. Down Under.
1: Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this lovely, actual 123rd episode of the Art of War Done on a Podcast. Last week was 122, I said it's 123, I got it wrong, I'm sorry, you know, lambaste me at your will. (laughs) My name is Adam Kemmileri and I'm joined by... Ah, um, in my mind, uh, something of a gentleman who has really come to the fore in the last 12 months, but he may very well have been absolutely smashing it away in his local scene for many a year. His name is Vic Vijay. He's currently number one in the world in the freaking ITC. Hello, my man. Welcome to the show. Hey, Adam. Thanks for having me. And hi, everyone who's listening. My absolute pleasure and honor to have you on, my dude. Um, You are on a podcast of your own, which is... Uh, and it's, it's budding, it's the first like 10 episodes or under, but it is an absolutely awesome show with yourself. And a lovely, I'll say a good cousin of mine, nationality-wise, in uh, David Gaylord from New Zealand.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, yeah, thanks for giving me the chance to plug that a little bit. We've, um, lots of people have heard of it already, but we run a podcast called 40k Fireside with me and David Gaylard. Um, Dave is uh, is an excellent, amazing, very talented player. And we try and do something a bit chilled out. And I know it's really easy with these podcasts to um, just kind of talk about yourself. But in the podcast, we do try to um, kind of give something back to the listeners that helps them with their competitive 40k.
1: Yeah, it's a really good listen. It's a nice casual chat from two of the best players in the world at the moment, especially. So I always find that kind of stuff interesting, just finding out how the top players tick and what's brought them to to relevance. And funnily enough, I'm starting a bit of a series in the lead up to the LVO. We're into a little bit of the quiet time. Of the the tournament uh churn, so to speak, and uh certainly in the uh the uk t c has been a freaking churn this year with <laughs> so many three day super majors you know multiple hundreds of people it's uh quite quite crazy um and you have kind of risen to prominence and like I said number one on the ITC in the world right now off the back of those but uh, before we jump in, I'll tell you everybody a little bit about um Art of war that I don't and what I do here this is a two part podcast like all the other art of war shows first part comes out for you guys Tuesday morning. Second part is behind the paywall over on Patreon or on the Art of War Forty K dot com, and it's just going to be an extension of this one. I'm going to be doing interviews with the or any of the top players in the top ten, and between now and the LVO, as many as I can get to sit down with me and have a chat with me, um, and pretty much we're just going to talk really candidly about what is caused the success on their end what has been the high points and low points of their season so far what they have used meta wise to gain that success what they think of the meta at the moment how are they preparing for the end of the season and their you know last run towards making um that top podium positions in the itc and etc and of course we're starting at the top of the pile which is your good self sir um so we'll jump straight into that goodness. Give us your impressions of the 40k meta as it, and landscape as it sits right now.
2: So we've had some ups and downs. I would say that we're on an up at the moment. Um, the meta is generally very stable albeit potentially a little bit boring some people would say that but in a way it's good that it's boring there are still people coming up with different ideas and having success with different kinds of lists and you can almost pick up one of of a larger number of factions than I can remember any time in ninth edition and go to great success um, at even very very large events against very very good players so um, I would say the meta is in a great position with only one or two little things which are edging towards overpowered. But I don't think there's anything which is edging over broken, if yep. that's a category. Um, yep. So this is, this is great. And I think people are loving going to tournaments, at least here in the UK. And the vibe is so great because everyone's having good games all the way through events. That's where yeah. it is, in my opinion.
1: Uh, me, me too. And I assume one of the things you think that are a bit of out of whack, it rhymes with blamers somehow. Um, yeah a little bit of a shamer really yeah a little bit of a shamer over (laughs) the shamer blamer you know could be some (laughs) correlations there um but yeah apart from that the game seems to be in a really good spot uh and i do agree it's funny that people are somewhat saying it's stale um like same it's funny that i hear a lot of the same people myself included i find the the missions being the thing that are causing it to be a little bit on the stale point with um for a lot of people the secondary is becoming very much solved very quickly out of Nephilim. Um, is that something you think is true, or do you think it's the fact that just the, there's no real codex is coming out, there's no balanced data slay really coming out, there's no uh, nothing really shaking up internally?
2: I think a part of it is the missions, and a part of it is the terrain formats that people tend to play in their local meta. Um, both of those things very much dictate the kind of flow of the game, and I think people might find that Once they get into a good rhythm, especially in their local meta where they may often play similar players, there's not much kind of switching things up. I think as you get to larger and larger events and play a wider variety of armies and different player skills, I think things are really interesting and you still have to come up with innovative, creative ideas to try and win games. And that's the kind of place that I think particularly the more experienced players uh, or the more competitive players really enjoy it and i know i really enjoy it as well so i'm personally not finding it very stale but i can understand why some people would
1: yeah i find it's um at this point of the game and we have been through several kind of versions of what we're doing right now like the calm seas that we tend to get before a big shake-up you know we've got that we've got this kind of a period last edition especially and i think we've people have told me about it Periods of this, like fifth edition, um, and not so much seventh, a or, or seventh edition, but certainly, definitely, uh, fifth edition, eighth edition, ninth edition have had this kind of, probably about a year to, or well, you know, six months to twelve months of just pretty stable. Everyone kind of knows what's going on, and I find it some part the most interesting from an analysis point of view. The most interesting part of the edition because it's people just not running out to jump on the next hot thing. It's people having to sit stably and think about what's going to work for them. Um, and mm-hmm. a lot of the time, a lot of faction experts shine at times like these because things are stable and it gives people time to iterate upon their, their favorite faction to find the right ways through. Case in point will be, um, I believe yourself on Emperor's Children, um, I think mm-hmm. was, was that for LGT? And then another one I think would be John Lennon, um, finding out the, uh, the spore mine farm essentially with his Kraken list that, um, uh, one was in Atlanta a, a week back. Um just finding those little 500-point shifts inside a a very solved meta to give yourself an edge, I really find those things exciting how top players like yourself come to it. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I think uh, what
2: you've hit on is an interesting point here, and it separates a few top players from each other. And it's not to say, like, the people... By top players, I'm just going to limit it to people in the top 10 in the ITC, which is not necessarily the top players in the world because uh, it doesn't quite work like that. But let's say... Uh, kind of the top 10 players in the ITC, there's a mixture of people who kind of innovate and create list design. And there are people who play the game extremely well. And uh, my podcast co-host, we're kind of the combination of that. I I tend to innovate new list concepts and Dave tends to take list concepts and and make them really good. I think that's part of it there with the emperor's children that was a list innovation people hadn't been running that across the world and it gave me a big advantage because people hadn't seen that list concept come in obviously i have to play it really well and it did kind of get me through lgt on the back of not many people were running it but now become more popular as as these things always do so yeah
1: of course that is that is very true um you know, it's funny how people just pick up and go when something gets to the field. But we've seen this happen um, innumerable times, innovators in a stable meta. Um, <clears throat> case in point, uh, Broviathan uh, by the Art of War crew a couple of years back. Uh, and prior to that, the double speed Yanari. Um, and once again, I'm referring to LVOs here because it seems to be that is where a spike of innovation occurs and the rest of us rush to catch up. Do you predict that being a thing for this one? yeah
2: i think there will be some level of innovation here and especially because there's a bit of downtime now with not many large events being played um this is a great time for you know players to innovate and play amongst their team and get some practice in and uh, kind of bring out something that's quite clever for lvo it'll be interesting to see personally i haven't got anything off the top of my head that hasn't Damn. already been kind <laughs> of um, kind of been solved but well, 20- a bit of time.
1: <laughs> There's 20 minutes of the podcast gone. <laughs> Thanks. Because <no. laughs> uh, I was going to ask you, do you think you're on the cutting edge? Do you think you've got it in the bag for the LVO?
2: Um, I think I'm at the high level of ha- like my development at the moment. I think I've played a large volume of games. I'm in a good place in my life where I have uh, kind of time to think about 40K without too much other stresses. And um, I've kind of been steadily developing and growing as a player over the last few years. And I'm at a point now where I feel quite confident that I can give anyone a good game. And, Fantastic. And uh, my number of mistakes has dropped down uh, a lot. So,
1: yeah, I think, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give any, anyone a go. I'll have a go. <laughs> we we'll see what happens. <laughs> Brilliant. All right. Well, let's backtrack to Little Vic. How did you get started in the hobby, mate? How long have you been playing? Um, and yeah, what got you into it? So I graduated from
2: university in 2015. And for the first few years after graduation, I would moved away from where I studied and didn't have uh, much of a social circle after leaving university. It was much harder to make friends. Um, so at that point, I walked into a local game store and I kind of just saw people playing Warhammer. So this is this would be about five or six years ago. And, um, yeah, I just saw them and I was like, what's this? And someone kindly explained it to me. And it just happened to be the most competitive players in that local gaming store. I played in that local gaming store for about a year and I picked up the game really well. Um, And then I started going to events and then my circle widened and widened. It's always been a very social thing for me. It's been a, a way for me to make friends and grow a community. And that's the main thing I get out of it. A byproduct of it is that I do enjoy competing in forty k events as well, uh, but yeah, that's kind of where I started.
1: Dude, brilliant! What was that first army, or what was that first uh, model you picked up?
2: So my first army was Eldar. Um, I I remember my first model was a Hemlock Wraith Fighter. I thought that oh, was the coolest thing in the world. Nice. Um, this was before Rule of Three, so uh, I I started off just like I, I think I got. 10 warlocks into a list uh, and you don't get an increase in casting value on smite at that time and yeah there was loads of crazy list concepts you could come up with at that time so yeah slowly but i, I just like the eldar aesthetic that's that's maybe my number one love
1: <laughs> nice and so that definitely sounds like it was the first year of eighth edition yeah that's it that sounds about right nice so yeah you just walked in you saw some people playing it picked it up jumped in how old were you at the time you said it was six years ago give or take
2: yeah, six years ago, so 25. So, yeah, graduated 23.
1: I'm 25 yep, yep. years old. Um, so, so, you just walked in, saw some people playing, picked it up, ran with it. How long uh, between buying your first model, go to first tournament?
2: Um, so, I played at an RTT at that, um, at that local gaming store. Um, and then uh, that was quite early on. And then I went to a GT called Battlefield Birmingham, which is currently on number 19 uh, now. But I think when I played it, it was on like number three or four or something like that. And I remember going and I played against uh, I played against Mike Porter. In yeah. that first tournament. I oh, had no idea who Mike Porter geez. was. <laughs> he just he just came across like some drunk guy who rather watch like a Liverpool game than play against me. Yeah, uh, and yeah. he was playing World Eaters or something. He wasn't playing like a really hard army or anything. And he just kicked my ass. So um, yeah, I, I learned a lot from that. I uh, lost another game in that as well. So yeah, I took took all my losses, learned things, and then from there, I kind of went to a tournament every couple of months, uh, a tournament away from my local gaming store. And, yeah, it kind of just kept growing and growing from there. Uh, I had very mixed success. I think I won my first GT after playing for about one and a half years, uh, somewhere in Cardiff. Yep. And it was all very slow going. And, yeah, progressively it grew. And as my um, circle grew, I then found uh, a group of guys who offered for me to join their team. Uh, I'd always been into my sportsmanship, and they liked that, that I was willing to let people have takebacks. And, you know, I wanted to win purely on skill, not just on with gotchas or anything. And they love that, so they let me join their team. And it's a team called Dice Down. There's 10 of us, and that's kind of capped out at 10 people now. Uh, and that's been probably the biggest push for me to grow as a player.
1: Fantastic. I, lo- I love hearing that Some they somewhat sought you out, or they found you very acceptable to join. Uh, and yeah, Dice down I think is sitting second in the ITC at the moment, behind uh, the lovely Art of War, which uh, <coughs> I may or may not be a part of. Uh, but uh, yeah, well done to you guys. Absolutely phenomenal. You put it together on that front as well. And so... Dice down. They're exclusively sportsmanship based. You know, performance, of course, you know, doesn't hurt, but you got to be, you got to play in the right way.
2: Yeah, I think that's the key criteria for people joining the team, uh, or was. Um, we haven't had anyone new join for quite a while. Dave was the last member to join, uh, but that was quite a while back, and yeah, it was just about kind of people it's a very mixed level of player skill in there like we have Fantastic. two previous lgt winners in conrad and malik in there um and then we have like neil robertson who's a professional snooker player in there so we have a real mix of kind oh, that's of people cool who can play games and who are jumping in and out of competitive 40k so um yeah it's a it's, it's a nice group of people
1: dude brilliant lovely to hear <laughs> um and yeah certainly a. oh I, in fact i think i was would you did you go to lvo um this year no dave uh, yeah, I, I know Dave was there. I, yeah. I I met Dave. I met Malik there as well. I, yeah. remember, I remember walking around the, the You guys were <laughs> play They were playing practice games before the main event started, and we were setting up the stream. I remember walking past and seeing all the Crusher stampedes with their harpies <laughs> and just being like. Yeah, you know, I just don't get the harpy. <laughs> it was just, so, it was just such a thing of um, really exclusive to the UK scene that ended up translating extremely well to the the LVO scene. Um, it's just one of those interesting things. Um, biggest passions or P's in 40k. So give us one thing you really love about the 40k community. One thing you're not so hot about. So I'd so everyone
2: has multiple hobbies, right? So there's another hobby I love, kind of like my cars and things. I don't do it so much anymore, but if you ever go to like the track or something, people see your car and they'll just come and want to just chat with you about it. It doesn't matter if you've never met them before. You share a hobby, and people will come and have something to talk to you about it. It's exactly the same when you go to Warhammer tournaments. People you've never met before, you you can easily pick up and have a conversation because you share an interest. And I think um, 40k is such a social hobby that it's amazing, one incredible hobby. And I hope it lasts me my lifetime. Um, what was the other question? Was it Peeves, Peeves yeah, 40k? Yeah, so one thing you'd dislike now. <laughs> um, so one thing that I would love to change in 40k is that I think there's a divide sometimes between um, kind of more casual players and more competitive players. And I think sometimes both of them give, give each other a little bit of a bad reputation. I think people would be surprised at how good the sportsmanship is in very competitive 40k games. Um, universally across top tables people allow take backs and make sure their yep. opponent doesn't forget things and that's just a normal part of 40k now maybe it wasn't quite like that about four years ago but it definitely is a big part of the game now and i would love it if people in smaller
1: or local scenes or more casual scenes knew that
2: part of competitive 40k
1: dude yeah I, and i totally agree it's uh <laughs> it's an interesting experience in my own climb towards top tables, I I dealt with most of that stuff in the middle, upper middle tables, mm-hmm. where I feel like people were really thirsty for success and felt like they were like one little, possibly one little gotcha away from getting where they wanted to be. And so mm-hmm. sometimes, at times, I felt like people made questionable decisions, sportsmanship wise, in order mm-hmm. to I don't know go for a brass ring or so to speak. Especially when in Australia there was a a national team or an international team spot available. For said player, perceivably available to said player, if they got a win or a big scalp, so to speak. But yeah, certainly when um getting established in the scene, yeah, all that stuff is literally gone away. Um, for for in, for myself, um, mm-hmm. is is that part of the game over there? Like, I, I know things are very different culture to culture, but what's your experience of the gotcha moment stuff and the, the the poor sportsmanship? Where do you think it comes from, and why is it still pervasive now when there's plenty of well, there's the streams mm-hmm. every weekend you can go watch of top table stuff where. Essentially, the, the finest of the, the scene repre- is representing there. And anytime there is something untoward, everyone kind of hears about it. So <laughs> when, when a week goes by and I don't hear about any controversy, it's a great week. <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean, I, I would personally say that uh, the UK scene is very, very good for this particular point. Um, and I notice it sometimes when I say play um, on TTS against people from Europe or from America. Um, they, they can be much more serious and stern about things. Whereas in the UK, I find people are much more relaxed and kind of, I think, so I'm going to kind of deviate just slightly here and talk about mindset of competitive 40K players and the power of kind of taking yourself away from the results of the game. And by that, I mean, winning is not the ultimate goal of playing the game. And if winning becomes the only goal of the reason why you're playing 40K, then you're going to miss a lot of opportunities to become a better player. And I'm noticing now with um, kind of people emphasizing sportsmanship here that people don't mind losing as much as long as they played the game correctly. And I'm noticing a lot of people who had a lot of potential in playing 40K, and I think this includes myself as well, Um, kind of have become much better players over the past few years because the scene has become much more emphasised on sportsmanship. So uh, I think UK is is excellent for it at the moment. Um, And I think a big part of that is the great kind of judging and the great kind of community we have. People like Vanguard Tactics, who all emphasise sportsmanship here. Um, Everything is about not being like a
1: bad person to play against across the board i love it and i i think there's a lot of people losing sight i'm sorry i can't see the forest for the trees kind of stuff who just see the, the the win at the end of the game and don't see the the fact that you know cool everyone pl- if you if you are a hardcore competitive player i i've been to and i'm sure you've been i know you've been the same but you've been to like probably about 10 gt or major level events this year Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. If not, like possibly double that, depending on how hardcore you've been. Um, but I so that that's like fifty, a minimum fifty games, if not sixty games to, to ninety games, just at tournaments, depending on how big mm-hmm. the events were. Were one win or loss here in a, in, a, in a calendar year because you made a, a genuine mistake, it's not a big deal in the scheme of things. But so many people just see the W at the end, and rather than seeing what those things can do to your reputation or your integrity for that calendar year. Mm-hmm. Uh, rather than you know, if you just choose to not get the dub, or to fight, or to do something questionable to get that W at the end, and I think people mm. really lose sight of the fact that this is just one game in a, in in a, year, a calendar year, let alone a career, which we're starting to call you know some people, and and what they do with this is that, do you, do you feel like that's a thing as well?
2: Uh, I think a victory based on you catching someone out or tricking them. Or making them like or them not knowing a rule you have or forgetting a rule that they have, which you know is obvious, I think that's not a real victory, and it's also not replicable the The key to like having success, especially in large events which run beyond five rounds, so seven, eight, ten rounds, is having technical basic skills which are replicable all the way through, and that's how you develop consistency. Gotches and poor sportsmanship are not a replicable skill in all games, especially as you get into kind of the more um, skillful players towards the
1: end of the tournament. Yep, yeah, to- totally agree. I think the the further up the ladder you go, generally, I think the sportsmanship is better. I don't think I don't think anybody wants to win off the back of a mistake. Got a got got a I've got a, a grey question for you, a grey area question, and I've got a very specific personal ex- um experience example so there's a there's a war trade called watched in um the dark angels book which i've been taking quite a lot because it's purposely in there to make people stop taking things like psychic ritual you know with their like yourself an elder player you'll dive out a, a a warlock or a farseer on a bike do your ritual quicken and back um it's there to be like well if you do that i auto deny the quicken And then I go and kill the Farseer, and cool, maybe you get zero points or one score of Ritual if the game is going poorly for you. Um, But it's there to be a psychological deterrent. But I played a game against a Tyranny player, and I shook Mm. that, watched under their nose like crazy at the start of the game. being Like, look, (laughs) I can do this. Don't take it, you know, if you take a Psychic Secondary, at your own peril, you know. Um, Of course, he was playing Leviathan, pre-Nerf Leviathan, so he didn't really care. He's like, ha! come and get my unkillable, you know, hard-to-get XYZ Psyker. Um, but the also thing against them is that um, later in the game, and of course I've, I've told him three or four times about Watched and what it does, he onslaughts his um, Flyerent, and I after he's advanced, obviously, and I watched it, and then the Flyerent can't charge, if can't charge, can't kill, can't overrun. Is that a gotcha? It's, it's a great area. I didn't feel great about it at the time because he'd already advanced and then when you got the onslaught, I'm like, uh, I've, I've got an order of you know auto deny. Um, um, should I have told him before he advanced? Should I have not said anything at all? Should I have, should I have just been like, hey, I've told you three or four times about this. I'm pretty, I think my conscience is clear. You know, go for your life.
2: Yeah, and and that's fine, Adam. I mean. Uh, everyone's going to deal with this thing differently. And I wouldn't say that's a moment of bad sportsmanship necessarily from you. And I don't think anyone is going to judge you badly for that. Um, I, it really depends on his approach. Like if he, so this is me and it doesn't mean anyone has to do this. If I then use my watched warlord trait on his onslaught and then he turned around and said, oh, I completely forgot about that. I would say, look, do you want to do it in a different order? Do you want to like move back a little bit? Because I know you've obviously forgotten about it. Um, and if he wants to do that, he can. I'd actually say that quite a lot of players would be like, no, no, no. My mistake. Put my hands up. Let's carry on. Everything is completely variable. What you shouldn't do is not tell him you have that Warlord trait. Yeah. Say, like, I wrote it in my list. And then just be like, yep, that spell is denied. You lose the game. Done. That's not a replicable way to win. What you did is not, not, not the same thing. Agreed.
1: Uh, and I, my conscience is pretty clear, but it's a good example for people out there because I have one of the th- issues that I've had with eighth and ninth edition is that I feel like stratagems and things like Wall of Trace watched being a prime example are inherently gotcha-esque. And there's such a burden of knowledge that the game puts upon the player and the opponent to play at such a level of openness, um, in order to, to, to mitigate, um, stuff like watched stuff like you know uh, uh two cp interrupts or having a second interrupt or fights last or um double you know transhuman transhitment all these things just these reactive secondaries all feel like they could at one point in this edition have gotcha somebody um and i feel like like i said there's such a burden for us the player base to to fight to maintain our level of integrity um and that by the way that gentleman i did it on took it like a champ he's like oh sh- damn i knew you had that um that's that's on me i'm like dude I'm, I'm real sorry as well. Uh, but yeah, we we played a, a very high sportsmanship game, but it was a good example because those kind of things come up for people all the time. Um, do you have any examples yourself of any grey area stuff you'd like to bring to the fore?
2: Um, so, uh, I have played some very important games of 40k. <laughs> yeah. Some really intense ones that have kind of decided the end of super majors, And I don't I can't. So I've made one mistake, which is where I've read a rule wrong. That was a very innocent mistake, which, uh, which got me a very successful result at a tournament. And I've also lost a tournament because of maybe some questionable sportsmanship where I asked my opponent, like, oh, is this unit on that objective? And they were like, yes. Uh, but I should have clearly said, is this the only unit on that objective? And I couldn't see there was a little OBSEC unit behind the wall. And um, he could obviously tell that's what I was trying to have a little look for. Uh, And then, you know, he kept it quiet and uh, managed to get a a huge point swing off of it uh, in quite a tense game. So I've been on the receiving end of it. But, you know, each to their own. The main thing is that your own conscience is clear. It doesn't matter. And, you know, some people say like, oh, if someone's a really bad opponent, you should not let them, you should behave differently to them. And I don't tend to subscribe to that thought because even in those games, uh, I'm not there to take revenge on someone. I'm purely there for my own game and my own player skill. Um, so even if someone is the worst opponent ever, I'll still treat them in the same way. If they say, oh, I forgot to cast this spell or I cast the spell in the wrong order. Be like, doesn't matter. Just do it in the right order. It doesn't matter.
1: Um, so, yeah, being on both ends of it, man. <laughs> I 100% prescribe to that, uh, be the same player no matter who you're playing like that level of integrity um i'll certainly i'll i'll play a harder game versus a harder opponent but i intend to play with the same amount of take backs the same amount of that that kind of stuff regardless of the table stakes regardless of playing little jimmy at his first game with his you know starter box versus you know matt morosoli you know top top one in australia I, i i demand that of myself and that's that's pretty much what you're saying yeah Yep, absolutely. Uh, There are things much more important
2: than this um, in terms of being a successful player. Um, I mean, I'll give you one big example here, which is focus. And I think being able to focus and concentrate through a game of 40k makes such a huge difference to the outcome of the game. It's very easy to go into autopilot and be like, you know, I'll just move this here, that there. haven't really thought about it. You have to find the balance between putting in effort and not wearing yourself out. And the balance in the middle is focusing on the game correctly, actually consciously like planning ahead, spending a few extra seconds to actually think through everything. Those things are the key to success, not kind of catching your opponent out or being a bad opponent and all that stuff.
1: I couldn't agree more. All right. Well, you mentioned some other interests in your life. You mentioned cars. What other hobbies do you prescribe to you? Where, where else do you spend your time if not 40K?
2: Uh, at the moment, it has kind of narrowed a little bit down to 40K, to be honest. <laughs> uh, 40K family work is is what it really is. Um, I'm quite lucky that... My, my work schedule is not very busy. I have a lot of free time. I don't have kids yet. I am married. Um, so I, this is kind of like my best time to probably play 40K ever. <laughs> um, uh, but otherwise, you know, I used to do a lot of sports when I was in university. That's kind of limited. Just maintain my fitness by going to the gym three times a week, something like that. Um, and yeah, see friends and family. That's, uh, 40K is, is my hobby. That's what I yeah. would say. If anyone asks me, what's my interest in life? What are my
1: hobbies? 40K. I expected nothing less. If you are number one in the ITC, that means you've pretty much done nothing else but 40k for the last 12 months. Minimum. (laughs) That's it. Uh, But totally fair enough. All right. So let's talk about that ITC year for you. What events have you won that has put you in this position? Uh, So this
2: year was the year I won my first super major event. And now you won multiple, I think. So
1: you, uh, yes. You so from... I won,
2: I won two super majors this <laughs> yeah. year. So I won the Leicester and the Bristol GT. Um, I came third at the London GT and won the Invitational. Um, and I won a number of little GTS across the the thing. And I've hit a top four in another super major as well. So two top fours in super majors. Oh no, three top fours. I came second uh, another one um and two wins on super supermajor so pretty, pretty pretty good year to be honest in terms of consistency
1: and dude all without you leaving the uk like you've done all of that that's just the strength of the oh, uk yeah. tournament circuit at the moment um mm-hmm. zach and the team just absolutely mm-hmm. annihilating it. it over there um so events you have won so you said bristol and leicester um mm-hmm. bristol was how long ago uh bristol was Last, uh, oh gosh, I don't know, With, within
2: the last 12 months. Um, of course. yeah, <laughs> and it <laughs> definitely, oh, yeah, obviously, gosh. I got a wow. funny
1: feeling it's in the last 12 months, Vic. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'd say in the last eight months, so yeah. early on in the season, right? Uh, uh, this was when Hail of Doom was good, perfect. So I brought Hail of Doom to that, right? Um, and the... sorry, continue. Yes, yes, carry on. No, I was, That was about 200 people at that event, um. Did you want me to go through the list? Or
1: yeah, what did you play? <laughs> what was the meta at the time? You were about to jump into it, and I thought you were going to go somewhere else. And I was like, right. redirect, tell us about the list. Yeah, okay. What did yeah. you run?
2: <laughs> so I, I brought I brought Eldar to the most number. I've been 14 events this year, and um, I brought Eldar to about half of them. And um, at this one, I brought uh, the Hail of Doom list, which was in its budding stage. This was when... Um, Uh, harlequins were very good void weavers are there and i was like no i'm not gonna play the the void weavers i'm gonna i'm gonna play hail of doom pure hail of doom and uh, i brought it to this tournament did really really well i love that list gosh it was kind of like 20 dire avengers, 20 swooping hawks loads of wind riders with shirking catapults and it was a great list both in terms of power but also expression of player skill um and uh, managed to have a, a nice run where i played a mixture of players and i got good matchups got through to the top four and managed to take that one out with the elder
1: Nice, well done. It's an interesting thing to unpacking the uh the Hail of Doom list in the meta because it certainly wasn't it wasn't uh a super unfair way to play the game. Uh, Sands the 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 multiple fire and fade mechanics. Um mm-hmm. but even then that wasn't insurmountable like things like Crusher has been, Thick City has been, um the Dark Technomancers has been in this edition. Even the Void Wavers played very unfair 40k compared to Hail of Doom. Like I found Halo Doom as well, you know, it was essentially just like an artillery army. As long as it could see you, you were going to die. But if you touched it, it evaporated.
2: Yeah, I think the terrain format was a part of the reason why Halo Doom was so powerful in the UK. Um, the UKTC terrain does have windows on middle pieces of terrain. And uh, the Eldar jet bikes can move 22 inches, touch that and shoot in. Um, so it was very powerful list. Swooping Hawks, also the 14-inch move, is almost perfect to look into terrain pieces on UKTC. Yep. So created a very powerful list. Obviously toned down significantly now. Uh, but at the time, I would say it was um, is more powerful than anything that is available now to be played, in my opinion.
1: Uh, I, I agree. I think anybody who thinks the game is super unbalanced right now just needs to really... Think about it for a minute, because we're actually to- we're actually eating pretty good at the moment. Life life is life is not too bad uh, compared to where it has been. Uh, why did you take Hail of Doom instead of taking the Waves? I think it was assumed at the time the Waves was the best army in the game. So I know you said you didn't want to play that. Why was that?
2: Um, I I have an issue playing absolutely broken things. Um, I a the models don't last very long. Um, and it's quite a big investment. But to to be fair, I did buy six void weavers. Um, I, I had some like a bunch of star weavers as well. I played it for a couple of practice games and then I just put them all on eBay. Like I was just like, this is <laughs> so incredibly powerful. It's the same as with Drakari liquefiers This is just yes. this is utterly broken. Uh and it doesn't matter what I do, I can just be as sloppy as I want and I win the game. Uh and that's not a healthy way to be, especially if you're looking at the longer picture um so i tried to build lists without any void weavers i think i went to one tournament with three void weavers in my list uh and then progressively i just tapered it down to purely hail of doom so i ended up with one of being one of the first people to kind of do that hail of doom list which became much more popular as the void weavers got nerfed yep
1: um so yeah that was that was a glorious time i I was (laughs) at adepticon I think in a similar weekend with the the void weavers (laughs) and I'm watching the finals of Adepticon was just like shame, shame on us all. Um, And I did have a little bit of a giggle considering how many people like (laughs) scrambled to get nine void weavers together for like the month that you could take nine void weavers. Um, Anyway, Um, biggest wins and losses in your calendar year so far. Of course the biggest wins, of course, um, maybe just win the Super Majors, but individual wins. Like, was there anybody who, you know, last year you would have been like, I have no chance against that list, that player. This year you've been like, got a couple of big scalps. Mm, oh, my favorite game of this year
2: was playing the LGT Invitational against Manny Chima. Oh, nice. And we had gone into this game and uh, Manny was playing like 120 racks or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was playing my Empress Children, the best best army in the game so good. Uh, And we were playing on Tide of Conviction, which is a whole two, six objective mission. Um, Manny went first. This is awful. Everything I'm saying is awful right here. Um, And I just assumed, look, I've lost. We're playing almost up to midnight after playing four rounds earlier in the day. So we're just shattered here. And um, Manny's gone first. He's jumped on all the objectives. And I'm like, I can't can't win this game. This is impossible, surely. Uh, But i just found a moment of focus just to like i i concentrated more than him and he got a little bit sloppy didn't see the bigger picture of the game and i managed to kill a hundred racks in my turn two Oof. uh yeah i got i got the full momentum swing on turn two not not, not like anything crazy luck wise but just i saw that turn before he saw it and um I managed to take that win and win the LGT invitation, which is like one of the greatest achievements. I don't I rate that higher than my the super major wins personally, because what? it's just LGT invitational. It's such a huge thing. So, uh, yeah, but in the same vein, I did take a loss in the uh, main event in the semifinals. So I came third and that was that was a sad loss because I lost in the mirror and it was it was heartbreaking because I thought maybe I could do the double because uh, I think if I got to the finals, I would have had a really good game into Tau. But uh, yeah, I took a loss there. So yeah,
1: greatest moment and saddest moment, both in the same event. Dude, that's cool. I, I like to hear the the peak and the trough uh, put together so succinctly. Because uh, yeah, there is that thing, like when you win the an Invitational, everyone wants to go and do the two-peat. Everyone wants to, to go the back-to-back. And it's so rare for people to do. In fact, I can only think of, what, two occasions now where people have uh, have had two victories pretty much on the same week or same weekend one of them Liam Hackett this year playing the singles of WTC and the, and the teams and winning both and then I think there was Andrew Gogno a couple of years ago at a Nova played the Nova Invitational won it played the played in the Super Major and won it and there's probably a bunch of other examples but but yes yeah, like I said there's like as an as an analyst and as a fan of the game I can only think of two instances and one of them was this year oh, with, my, he- with my own country that's like it, it tattooed in the inside of my brain now <laughs> if if malik's listening
2: to this uh, he's uh, one of my dice down teammates he won the lgt invitational and the main event last year ah. uh, last time it ran so yeah was he running gsc <laughs> he was running admec
1: admec okay yeah wow that yes. didn't that didn't spring to he, mind he did
2: that and then he just quit he said this is the greatest achievement of my life <laughs> yeah, i'm just gonna I'm just gonna chill now. I'm out, I'm
1: out bitches. <laughs> it's just, this is it I've, I've reached the mountaintop i love that that's fantastic good for him um Okay, we're going to start talking about some of your prep and mindset going into the LVO. So where are you at right now um prep wise? Do you feel confident that if you if the LVO was happening ne- this weekend, you'd have a list worthy to take?
2: Oh, i I'd have no chance to be honest. Um I think I have to be realistic about this because uh, the biggest thing which is going to hold me back is the terrain format. Yep. Um I've done all my games on UKTC, some of it on heavier terrain, WTC. Um and Uh, to do the switch now to a terrain format where most of the people who are going there who are competing are going to have a great experience with, is going to be really tough for
1: me. Um, Feel free to take a minute to break down the perceived differences on your end. Like what is different between those two terrain formats? People may not be familiar. uh,
2: Well, there's a skill element to the player place terrain format, which uh, FLG events use. Um, And, for me, if I play on player place terrain, which we do have some tournaments here, um, I've, I've been to three of them in this past year, the terrain is usually extremely heavy on those. But my perceived uh, knowledge of the FLG terrain is that it's not as heavy as the player place terrain that I'm used to. Um, but I don't know to what extent that is. And I and I also understand there's some variability in the different types of terrain, which makes preparation tricky. Um, so... Yeah, I think I have a number of different armies I could bring and I have to aim for consistency uh, regardless of terrain is probably going to be my approach, especially as I'm really busy in the run up to LVO. Um... I don't know. What do you think, Adam? Give me some advice, man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, to me, the biggest thing I learned because yeah, I, I, I I never played play a place terrain until I rocked up in the states in November a year ago now. I I, I just rocked up in the Art of Warhouse House and rocked up at LVO. And um, yeah, the first thing I learned was uh, the first piece of terrain really sets the the tail. Whoever whoever gets to place the first piece and then how you respond to the first, the first place piece really determines how the rest of the set's going to go and tells you everything you need to know about how your opponent intends to play the game. If they pick up and put a crate on a middle objective, they want to shoot you. If they pick up and they put a large ruin... Um, on, a, on a center objective they want to charge you those the, <laughs> those those are the thing those are the two big switches i learned and so as soon as i see those pieces go down i need to react accordingly and so if they put down a big terrain piece a big a ruin in the middle i want all my pieces of terrain to be minimum their move and charge away so i want to be uh let's say they move six i want to be six plus average charge away from them if they you know add, add a d- another d6 to that charge because they advance a charge i want to be my terrain pieces to be approximately 15 to 16 inches away from that piece so no matter what they have to come out have a max advance and then a big charge in order to bridge that gap otherwise I just catch them sitting in the middle eat them up uh, so much the better um, nice. Okay. and then okay. if they put a crate or a forest in the middle I want to smash a big ruin as close as I can to that um, possibly adjacent to it on the same centre line of the deployment um, and, in order for me to posture up and, and pretty much nullify what they just did by having somewhere I can hide Close to somewhere they don't want me to hide. Perfect. All right, Adam. Oh, i have taken there's, notes. There's the, there's, the, uh, there's the TLDR. That's that's just and that is exclusively talking about the first two pieces of terrain. You could sure. I could go. You could go on to do the, the same extrapolations for every further piece of terrain that people place. But I find it's the first piece and two, uh, two pieces that really set how the the table is going to come together. So if you want, just practice that. Like just practice getting your first two pieces perfect. Um, and it's something. I have- Go ahead. I think
2: what's interesting is what my goal is for this yeah tell us i'm I'm going to l v o right and this is a thing i was I was not sure if I was gonna go, but the fact that I did manage to get rank number one gives me a really honest goal to try and aim for um and I don't necessarily need to win the whole event unless unless Jack does like uh, wins the event. I just need to do better than Jack. <laughs> That's, That's all. So I need to do well and better than Jack. So That's, yeah, exactly I, I, right. I can't, I can't control what he does, but I can give myself the best chance by trying to go as far into the event as possible. So I'm going to be aiming for consistency as much as possible. Um, and, if my disadvantage is the terrain format and lack of knowledge or practice on the terrain format, I'll get a little bit, but not much. Yep. Um, then I have to compensate for that with my army choice and my kind of fundamental game knowledge. Um, and that's, that's the mindset that I'm going in with. I'm going to try and
1: be consistent. Love it. I, I, I love that mindset as well. And yeah. Like I said, when you get to these top teams, these people probably don't really recognize or understand but when you get to the the number one number twos kind of stuff and the and you've only got one event left for the year up in the it the, the lvo you really only need to do better than your um compatriots you really know only to do better than the people adjacent to you on the ladder and so yeah have, have you are you gonna you go rocking up with a bit of a, a dice down posse you bring in a few lads over oh i think i
2: think it's only me and dave this okay. year it's yeah. much quieter from the dice down. So it's is, just
1: is, us two. Is Dave kind uh, of rubbing your shoulders being like, don't worry, I'll meta for Jack. I'll get him. I'll catch him. Oh, I'll catch him in this oh, shadow round, knock him out, and then you are free. Like, it's Dave, over.
2: <laughs> Dave has a much better chance than me, I think. Dave, Dave has, like, he, he puts in a huge number of reps into his practice. So, and I think both of us are not going to care about meta chasing on this one. We're going to try and innovate as much as possible, but we are just going to bring the strongest and thing that we can. Um, that gives us the best chance, um, and Dave does usually does that more than me anyway. So uh, yeah, I think Dave is also is third in the ITC, no fourth. He's fourth. Uh, he's fourth, so he's right there, and you know he has a really good chance of winning the ITC this year as well. Well,
1: essentially, if you, so, it's it's uh yourself, Jack Harpster John Lennon, and then David for the top four. Yeah, mm-hmm, that's right. Yeah, so essentially, if he makes the top eight and the, the other three of you don't, he kind of just. Wins right yeah, is it that money is it that many points on it Gosh. I th- I th- I, it could be that simple. He may need to get a couple of wins into the top eight, but if he's there and you're not and he just kind of gets a couple of w's, I think he does make mm-hmm. it, but um sure it's it's a really interesting thing to know because I don't know the rubric I don't know the math on the back end, and so it could be that you know you just need to rock up and make the top eight to win. It could be. It could be the jack needs to do it. It could be that. Yeah, there's all these sort. Of, all yeah, all these sorts of little intricacies that people just guess at. And the best thing, like you said, is to just go in with a strong mindset. How do you maintain that? What goes into your essentially would be a championship mindset, as it's turned out to be. Uh, so I haven't got practice behind me now. So
2: I'm uh, in the actual event. There are moments where you slip and get tired, and those are the moments where you just have to catch yourself and be like just focus come back into being present with what's going on in front of you and put the extra effort in to just play a little bit better and that's all you need just to keep you on track the the worst games i have are the ones where i'm just kind of just going through the motions and not really thinking like i mentioned yeah, before yeah. it's Auto all just violent.
1: focus yeah mm-hmm. um so how do you so you've you've told us about the solution to to losing focus how do you recognize you're losing focus
2: uh, you, you'll feel it. I'm sure you know know exactly this feeling as well, Adams. Like I can't be bothered. I, I'm. I just. I just. You know. It, it's fine. Or the, oh, this is a dangerous one. Or the the feeling of uh, it's this game's easy. Mm-hmm. You know, you underestimate yeah. your opponent. You underestimate yeah. the army that they have this game is easy, I'm allowed to make mistakes here. Those are the games, especially early on in a tournament in an army where maybe you uh, have not been playing it so much in practice, where you need to really just think, I want to play this game as best as I can. I'm going to be present and I'm going to be like, you know, I'm not just going to move my unit out six inches forward. I'm going to tail it back so that four of them are in cover, and if they want an angle to the one model that's outside of cover, they need to be in a position where I can move another unit six inches and shoot that position. Yep. Those extra few seconds of thought get you into the mindset through the tournament and you need to do that when you like even when you have list advantage or player skill advantage and that's uh, that's kind of i think that's a good answer to the
1: question <laughs> i think that is a very good answer i i have many an example of just being like ah, oh, i'm this is this is round five and i want to go home and i'm tired and and whatnot and uh, I, I had a game where i played against imperial guard the old book um and i took this game really easy i'm like i am a guard player i do not lose to guard i we had a bit of a flex i don't i don't can't i don't, i didn't lose to imperial guard as a guard player as a dark angels player in all of 8th edition i didn't have a single loss to guard and i don't i don't think i've lost to guard in Ninth edition either which isn't saying as much because you know they haven't really been that prevalent but having not lost to them in possibly six years i was pretty much phoning this game in and then uh turn three he wrote he comes out from hiding with three demolished tank commanders and both his payload manticores pop off. And I'm like, sweet Jesus, I'm going to get tabled if he does that again. And so, yeah, that, that is exactly what came to mind for me. Um, So you say you don't get as many games in as you'd like. How many games do you estimate you will get between now and stepping off the plane in Vegas?
2: Ah, uh, so that is—it's towards the end of January, isn't it? So I'm in India with family for about four weeks between Oof. from Christmas. So I'll have about one week of practice before uh, LVO. Wow, so yep,
1: not not a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, that just shows the—you know—even though you are number one in the world, you know, family comes first for you, which I think a lot of people can respect. Yeah, and
2: uh, I mean before Leicester, I only had two practice games. So um, a practice games become less and less important over time, and it's also for individual players. Like some people need more reps than others. Um, for me, I, I spend more time just thinking through what the kind of averages are, or kind of you know how a few turns will flow, and I can usually do that pretty well in my head. Yep. Um the thing that makes it really hard for LVO is that I don't have something I can visualize in my head which is the terrain format and I can't visualize the units moving in my head so it's uh it's going to be a a much more difficult challenge. Um I'm thinking maybe I can go to some of the previous LVO streams or something and just like t- like take some mental pictures of yep, some of yep. the boards that are being played and just play through some games in my head like that. Uh, I only you only need like 10-15 minutes to do that. Uh, And it makes a huge difference because that that sets your deployment. Because when you do that in your head, or this is what I do a lot of, is just on TTS, just deploy my army on certain terrain format. Love it, yes. Um, If you just do that and then you move your units as if you got first turn or as if you got second turn, um, you see like, oh gosh, this unit really needs to be on
1: the other side, doesn't it? Uh, Those kinds of little things really add up. Yeah, I I 100% agree, my dude. Um, I love that use of tts as well a lot of people bemoan tts for this and for that but i think for just getting your even even if it just allows you to deploy more comfortably more um confidently i think it's a, an, an amazing tool and, and there's so much more for it to offer than that so uh so you're saying you'll have about a week are you do do you expect that week to be chock full of 40k or are you going to get like a handful in if you can
2: I'll probably just play a couple of games, I think. I'll Dude. get two games in. But while I'm in India, I'll just uh, try and work out what my army choice is. I think that's yeah. going to be the key. That is um, true.
1: If, yeah. if, you were ta- if you were going to LVO this weekend, what would you be taking?
2: Uh, i would probably be taking, uh, this is with very limited knowledge of the terrain format, I'd probably either be taking the Thousand
1: Suns and Flamers or taking Tau. Interesting, Tau. Yeah, I, I do th- see people perceive the um, FLG event as being a little more tower friendly, a little more shooting friendly. Um, is that even it, it, you're saying Tau, Even though we now know that the bottom floor of a lot of the ruins are going to be line of sight blocked.
2: Yeah, I think that should be okay. I think as long as they're able to get angles. That's this is the thing I'm not sure of is whether the twelve inch movement on, say, riptides. I know eighteen inches will get angles on most terrain formats for the crisis suits, but will twelve inches be enough? I'm not sure. Um, or depending on how dense it is, I'll have to put a few few pieces of terrain out on um, TTS and see. Uh, but if they are, I think Tau could be a very
1: strong option. They they yep. can be very consistent if played correctly. Correct, and from your point of view, you just want to play consistent and get. Well, essentially, if this is, a, this is a marathon for you, not a sprint, like for you and Jack and John and David, essentially, you just need to be the guy who makes it to the finish line. It doesn't need to be faster than the other guy. You just need to be hanging there longer than they can. Yep.
2: I would say, though, Tau is a little bit more at the mercy of your opponent than armies like Thousand Sons and Emperor's Children. Thousand Sons and Emperor's Children, you tend to be kind of controlling the flow of the game. Yep. Whereas Tao, I think you are being very reactive sometimes to what your opponent's doing, uh, but that maybe that's just who I'm seeing. Like I know you can be very, very aggressive with Tao as well, but that's that comes with its own risks. So you're
1: um, you're saying that from a points denial point of view. So that's what I'm extrapolating. That Tao doesn't necessarily go out and stop your opponent's score, with the exception of just removing pieces. Like you know, mm-hmm, you will correct. go and contest a lot of objectives with your opponent still being on them with Emperor's Children, with T-Sons. It does, does, you don't have to kill them to stop them scoring.
2: Yeah, you play through the entire game with uh with t-sons and emperor's children so you can create little points differentials all the way through uh tau i understand they are a momentum army but they are also very much a kind of at some point you will just have to go for it and, yep, yep. and
1: hope it works out <laughs> dude yeah totally agree uh it, very interesting if you'd say the to add Tao to the mix i, I thought you were going to say um Tau Space Marines and t suns Flamers. i uh, not surprised to hear Tau at all. I think Tau is pretty much going by the wayside a little bit for people because uh, they are still absolute savagery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh,
2: Tau was the first event I took uh, this season, uh, so yeah. I do I do like Tau. Um, just I've always found other things interesting. Uh, but actually, the Empress Children is quite interesting that you say that. I, depending on how the terrain is, uh, Empress Children could be really good on this.
1: I, I got a sneaking suspicion Empress Children will be quite will be quite good. I don't know, but I don't know if they're going to be the best choice. Um, I, actually, in fact, I probably believe they're not going to be the best choice for mm-hmm. most players. It needs to be the right player on the right list, which I thought could, could very well be very well be yourself. Oh, Oh, I played like 50 games with them. So I'm super practiced with them. That was the other thing as well. If you're not going to have a lot of time to practice before the event to iterate on new things and innovate, go back to what you already know, what you're already comfortable with. Anyway, I I am no by no means the <laughs> the Vic Vijay uh, <laughs> LVO coach. Um, so, dude, we're gonna close this one out. We're gonna go over and record part two, which are pretty much going to be more of the same. So, if you have enjoyed sure. this, please come enjoy this over on the other side because it's going to be more of the exactly more of the same. We're going to swear a little bit more probably. We're going to talk about some possibly a little bit more personal stuff. Get to know Vic on a little bit of a deeper level. Um, but, dude, anything you'd like to plug or any you know parting moments or. Uh, tips and tricks for LVO that you'd like to impart upon in people? Well, I, I just like my parting comments.
2: I just I want to say thank you to my team, Dice Down. If any of you guys ever meet any of them, they're all top guys. Fireside 40K is the podcast I run with Dave, who's also in Dice Down. Uh, I would appreciate it if you guys could give that a little listen. It's uh, it's something we're really passionate about. And finally, just you know, enjoy, enjoy the hobby, guys. It's an amazing game and a great community.
1: Thank you so much for being an absolute gem and uh, a gentleman of our community. And yeah, go check, out, go, go check out 40K Fireside. I haven't missed an episode yet. I have no intention of missing an episode, so you shouldn't either. Plenty to catch up on. And it's, it's essentially a lot of what we have talked about today about your journey this year is documented over on that podcast so if you have enjoyed this sultry tones the very smooth tones i would say of vic very softly spoken um go and check over 40k fireside and yeah thanks so much for coming on dude uh kicking this uh, little interviews with the top meta guys uh, off with a bang and, and very much appreciate it cheers
0: thank you thank you for listening to art of war down under